It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey, welcome to a special episode of the Movies You Should Love podcast. I am Lauren, and with me, as always, is... Scott! Yes, yes, he is. Um, Today, we're doing a very special conversation. Uh, Normally, we do a movie review of some sort, or uh, talk about a theory or something uh, regarding filmmaking. Today, we, since we are the Movies You Should Love podcast, we thought we would today talk about movies you should love... But it turns out that you don't. <laughs> you know, these are the movies that that maybe um, everybody around you loves. You know, have garnered acclaim yeah. and praise, and you just watch them and are kind of left cold. I think it's a phenomenon we're all have ex- we've all experienced at this point. You know, you kind of go, everybody says we'll love this, let's watch it. And you're like, all right. Exactly. So, um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Scott and I are going to reveal some of ours, which we expect to be pretty controversial. Some of them. Um, Scott is doing fun wave things with his arms on the video, which you could see that, but <laughs> you can't. Um, and visual uh, gag. Yes, but uh, you know, let us know what you think on Facebook, facebook.com slash movies you should. On Twitter, you know, you can yell at us or tell us what you hated. Either one. Uh, our Twitter handle is movies you should. Or you can always check us out on our website, moviesyoushouldlove.com. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, before we get into that, let's talk about some movies that we have seen uh, theatrically or DVD-ally uh, <laughs> that, uh, that we felt worthy of discussion here before we get into our topic of the day. Sure. Um, the movies I've recently seen have been uh, Diva Delili, and so... Um, <laughs> it's a fun, fun way to say it. Uh, and I don't actually have a whole lot to say about this first one, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Um, it was one of those movies, I saw the trailer, and I knew I was going to eventually have to see it, just because it is what it is. Um, I didn't rush out to see it, and it, it, honestly, it is exactly what you think it is. If, if the words Ab- Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter appeal to you, you're going to like this movie. Um, if, they do, if it doesn't appeal to you, you're probably not going to enjoy this movie. It is exactly what it says it is. Uh, the, the things that in it that I thought that were the most interesting were the way the filmmakers really tried to weave an alternate story that does coincide with what we know about Lincoln, which was very interesting. And, and it was a really, I mean, I don't know if it's interesting or profound or just uh, not salacious, but uh, not libelous, but you know, uh, you'll see what I'm about to say, what I mean in just a second. Um, the way it turns out that the South was, it turns out really kind of powered by vampires, not, not and it's more of a commentary not on the slaves but on the people running the confederacy were vampires and so it, and not even like not jefferson davis but like it just turns out they had a lot of vampires on their side and so you have this weird kind of metaphor or something going on where it's like oh they were vampires they lived off sucking the life out of other people interesting and abraham lincoln had to fight them interesting you know it's like <laughs> Is it? I don't know. But um, the best thing I can really say about this movie is the cast is actually really pretty great. Um, and the, I think it's a testament to the actors that I could actually see most of these actors doing a straight uh, biopic of Abraham Lincoln, uh, especially Mary Elizabeth Wine, uh, Winstead or Winstead. I'm not trying to pronounce that last one. Um, she plays Mary Todd, and she is really 
quite charming and wonderful as you know the future Mrs. Lincoln. And I, I there were parts of the movie I enjoyed overall. You know, it's mindless it, vampire fodder. It really is. I mean, it comes right down to it. it's directed by the guy who directed uh, uh, Night Watch and um, Wanted. So it has a lot of really, really over the top action sequences. Um, some of which are impressive, and some of which you just kind of go. Okay, so I just watched that happen, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about the whole movie. It's like it, it, it was fine. It wasn't. Uh, again, if the term Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter appeals to you, go check it out. If you kind of go, that sounds interesting. You'll probably enjoy part of it. Otherwise, it's just weird, strange, morbid curiosity, and it's it's okay. Um, do you want to touch on one of yours before I go into my rant? It <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds like we probably should. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, I have uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, well, opening weekend for it, actually, I went and saw the new James Bond movie, uh, Skyfall. Um, and th- there's any number of things that can say can be said about it. Um, a lot of them are spoiler territory, and I don't really want to get into most of that. Um, Thank you. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Basically, I just want to say I really liked it. It doesn't go into the direction that most James Bonds go. It kind of deconstructs a lot of what a James Bond film is, which is kind of interesting that we're doing that with the third entry into mm-hmm. a series that has already somewhat deconstructed. Yeah. James Cause Bond. Casino Royale really seemed to do the same thing. Yeah. But this is like gone to a whole different place with some of that. Um, and at the end, it kind of turns into a Western, which works weirdly in the James Bond universe. Um, all of the, all of that to say, um, there's a lot of plot points in it that could have been really contrived and frustrating, but because of the angle that they come at things from, it feels very fresh and very exciting and interesting. Cool. Um, and so at the end of the day, I really liked it. The only, the only major criticism that I really have of this movie is that there were, um, in the first two movies of the Daniel Craig era of, you know, Casino Royale and uh, Quantum of Solace, mm-hmm. there was kind of a storyline set up where there's a organization that is kind oh, of doing yeah. all of this stuff. There's kind of a mastermind organization that he's kind of digging into over the course of these movies. Mm-hmm. And that is not even remotely touched on in this movie. Just, okay. um, it's completely dropped. Completely dropped. And... Well, and so I'm okay with this just being a good James Bond adventure. What I, with a lot of character development and a lot of very interesting things that happen, I would like to have seen some of the story elements that never got explained from the first two that really seem to be promised as find out in chapter three of the James Bond, you know, like I kind of wanted some of that continuation and that is not really present even remotely in this movie. Aside from that, which that, um, that, that might not be. I mean, the old James Bond, they always had. Is it chaos he was fighting? Or was I that Get so. Smart? Uh, uh, yeah, which one? <laughs> Let's see. Anyway. There's Smirsh, there's Chaos. <laughs> well, you know, there, there was like uh, that evil organization yeah. in the old James Bond movies, but they weren't always present in all of them. So I mean, it is possible that they could, they could still bring that back in part four, you know. No, exactly. I, I don't, I don't feel like it. hard. Right, I don't feel like it was a betrayal of anything. It's just yeah. it would. There's enough of those strings left over at the Quantum of Solace that I would really have enjoyed finding out yeah. about you know all of those operatives who dispersed from the uh, opera house and stuff, and like yeah. how they're bringing down that organization thing. I that to me that would have been the logical next step, and it probably yeah. still is in a script down the line. Yeah. It just wasn't for this movie, and 
I wasn't expecting it not to be that. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Yep. Um, but that's that's really not a fault of this movie. It's just a fault of the, if you want to call it a fault, of kind of the series as it is developing. Maybe you know, maybe it, maybe it's a fault of the last movie that it did not wrap itself up as well. Yeah, maybe, right. we can, maybe we can blame it on Quantum of Solace instead of... We'll blame so. it on the writer's strike again. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, anyway you cut it, this is my favorite set of James Bond films thus mm-hmm. far. Um, you know, as much as I love Sean Connery in the role, mm-hmm. uh, I think this is this series is so much more strongly written and so much better produced. Um, you know, uh, you are in for a great time. Cool. Very cool. Um... Okay, so on the podcast, episode, I forget what episode number it is, but it was in the heat of the night. You and I had a pretty protracted uh, conversation about Snow White and the Huntsman. <laughs> and I really got off on a tangent of hating Kristen Stewart, which I apologize to everybody, especially Kristen Stewart, who I know listens to the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't hate Kristen Stewart. I just, there, there's, there's just, there's no, I don't have an appeal. She doesn't appeal to me, per se. And I haven't seen any anything yet that really makes me get excited about a new movie um so that being said uh the family decided to sit down and watch uh snow white and the huntsman uh because kelly and i are big fans of fantasy you had a fairly positive review of the movie um oh and i I think we're going to touch on a few things that you mentioned and as well as some of the negative that you did bring up as well um and uh london is a huge fan of the twilight series and so we thought this would be great you know for all of us and i think our 14 year old enjoyed the movie the most um i can not imagine how that i mean let me start that sentence over <laughs> that's exactly how it would have to be yes is basically what i can say based on having seen this film yes and and my biggest frustration and here's the thing like it is it is gorgeous it is a gorgeous movie and you are right like the dwarves are mind-bogglingly good mm-hmm. you know like i have no idea how they pulled that off you know it's like um the 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 fantasy elements are really cool i love the way they handled the queen like they really set up a cost for her magic Mm -hmm. she's just not running around zapping spells she has to really you know feed Mm -hmm. the magic which i thought was really well done again you know i would say Charlize theron is the highlight and the visuals of this movie absolutely um and i thought chris hemsworth did an okay job um you know again and you said something really accurate i think you said uh snow white's just not given much to do and that is my biggest frustration with this movie um is that we and have her, yeah and her powers are not explained ever. But yeah no no exactly exactly those are the two <laughs> things i want to touch on because you have this really well crafted ex- explanation of the queen's magic and then we kind of throughout the movie we're kind of told that snow white has this healing ability or she's going to restore the goodness of the kingdom and we're, there's even a point where when she meets the dwarves she heals them of their ailments but not in a not in an over-the-top sort of way but they kind of go have you noticed since she's been here we're not getting sick your gout has gotten better and they mention all these things and it's just so frustrating because and i don't blame christian stewart for this at all but the whole movie revolves around people telling her she's the most important person in the world and we're never it's never shown why, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, it would, it's such a missed opportunity to, you know, here you have a movie where we're t- kind of told that Snow White is the hero of her own story, but she's not. It's really, I feel like the movie should have gone in two directions. One is to really make her the hero, which to me would have began with her 
as a little girl just inexplicably healing people. Her presence just calms people or heals people. And so they put her in the dungeon, and then all the dungeon people get better. So they move her into a tower, and all the tower people get better. And so everybody loves her, and it drives the queen crazy. Mm-hmm. And well, so and she, it, you know, it also seems like she could have been a great source of power for the queen. Exactly. If that's the case, and, you know. And maybe, and maybe that, maybe that could have been the beginning. Is that she was always drawing power from Snow White, who was this endless source of magic. Mm-hmm. And then once she was gone, she had to turn to taking it from normal people, which killed them and made her young and all that. Like, but like throughout that opening act, you could have had people coming to Snow White and maybe sneaking her books. Maybe the guards love her because the prison's so much better with her in it, and um, people train her. And so, like, and then she be- and then she escapes and rallies the troops and overthrows the queen. And she could have been the hero of her own story, or the route they could have taken was just the girl who is just a symbol, and she's frustrated by that. And everybody seems to love her. And she doesn't understand why, but she- her just being there is a symbol for the revolution. Um, and the movie does the- a weird thing. I feel like where it can't decide between the two of them. And that she somehow inspires people by not really doing anything, mm-hmm. and she's locked in a, a tower, and there's she's, there's an escape, and then all of a sudden she's in armor at the end of the movie, and she becomes an action hero, and you're like, when did she learn to do any of this? In the lifeline that we've been given, there's, I was just very frustrated that she, as you know, as the, as the title character, and as this reimagination, and as like, let's bring this into the 21st century. Snow White was really given nothing to do but be fought over mm-hmm. by the queen, by the guard that kind of likes her, by the uh, the huntsmen, by the dwarves. Everybody loves her and wants her, but why? You know. Yeah, like, uh, well, to me, because to me, this was the really frustrating thing is because I really like the concept of movies that can have a a feminist or a or a. Um, empowering effect for especially girls yeah um and i think a movie like this is the sort of movie that could have been that movie no exactly and and the biggest problem with the movie is nobody knew how to empower the girl in the movie it's it's a fantastic movie Mm -hmm. carved around a character who does nothing exactly so and so everyone in this film is empowered except the one character who really should have been exactly and it's a very frustrating experience when, with some creative rewriting that really wouldn't have changed that much no. of the story. I mean, it's like you could have had all the same sets and the same structure, just different actions in those sets or different dialogue or something mm-hmm. going on. Like, I feel like it just needed one more draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's why it's such a frustrating film to me, because yeah. it's, it's almost incredibly good. Yeah, exactly. Which um, I want to, because Kelly and I were frustrated at the end of it because we both noticed it, even without even talking to each other. At the end of it, we were like, "Oh!" And she brought up some really good points, and I brought, you know, we kind of went back and forth. And the next night, when I was at work, uh, Kelly showed London uh, Mirror Mirror, which was the other Snow White movie that came out up against Snow White and the Huntsman. Mm -hmm. Very different film. Julia Roberts as the Evil Queen, and I think it's Lily Collins as Snow White. It's really kind of filmed in a very old style, almost kind of a Disney or a. Um, it kind of reminds me of The King and I, where it's just like big sets and the you know very big angles on things. Um, very different. I mean, it's it was 
film to be a family film. It doesn't have a lot of the fantasy elements. It doesn't have the special effects. Um, however, it does a much better job of empowering Snow White. And what's really astonishing is how similar all the characters are played. Julia Roberts' Evil Queen has the same kind of uh, limitations on her magic, where she is also having to kind of do this thing. And the the huntsman is there, and you have this prince, and you have the dwarves, who are also kind of this revolutionary band in the woods, who are also thieves. It's got a lot of interesting stuff in it. I mean, it's definitely toned down. It's a PG movie versus PG-13 um, again, it's very family, but if I was going to recommend one of these movies to somebody, I would recommend Mirror Mirror. Um, we really enjoyed it. It's a fun film, and it actually does a better job, I think, of putting the central character in the heroic uh, position, which at this point, we're in the 21st century, it really frustrates me that women are still kind of being treated this way in film, especially now that I have a 14-year-old girl living with us, and I want to show her positive role models and her favorite character is bella who again is in it from twilight and it's like bella, the bella character suffers from the same problems uh snow white does in snow White and the huntsman where she's not given anything to do but be fought over by other people and while that's fine i think it's good for people to fight for you you also need to fight for yourself and why i don't know i don't understand why we're not empowering more girls and more women in our films and in our art um so if you have to see one of these Watch Mirror Mirror. I, I give it two thumbs up. It's definitely more slapsticky, more punny, uh, more cartoony. But it's live action, and I, I think it's actually a more enjoyable film as well as being more positive. Yeah. I don't disagree even slightly. Oh, good. We're working Scott up. This will be good when we get into these movies. <laughs> that we, but uh, before we do, just uh, two other films yes. here to kind of touch on um, that I have seen. Uh, I went back and... Uh, with my wife, we we saw the Disney Swiss Family Robinson from, you know, fifty years ago, um, uh, and uh, it was, settled, isn't it? It is. Um, you know, it was it was an entertaining kind of film. It, it it had all of the elements that I remembered from my childhood watching it. Um, you know, it has lots of animal sequences. Um, Scott, you mentioned that you remember like them riding around on ostriches. Yeah, there's like a there's a race. Like I, yeah. I, I think I saw it when I was like nine, and mm-hmm. I haven't seen it since. But there's like a race where they all ride a different animal, or they all ride ostriches. Yeah, they all ride different animals. One okay. of them's like on a uh, ostrich. One's on a zebra. One's on an elephant. You know, diff- different. Yeah. I think one's on a dog, like a huge dog. Um, Someone did not choose wisely. I'm getting an ostrich. Oh yeah, I yeah. see your ostrich raise you an elephant. And. Uh, uh, you know, it also has pirates, and and there's a big right. you know sequence where the pirates try to attack them on the island. They've basically home aloned the whole island That's with right. traps and That's stuff, right. uh, except they did it before Home Alone. Yeah. So maybe Home Alone, Swiss Family. Yeah. Anyhow, doesn't yeah. matter. That's very meta. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> um, uh, at the end of the day, it was you know it's it's exactly the movie I remember it being. It's it's definitely from a different time. There's. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you can be very snarky about today if you're watching it. Uh, you know, the way dialogue is delivered, the, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff you can kind of make fun of. But if you're just watching it as kind of a classic Disney sort of film, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's you know, it's clean family entertainment for the most part. Um, it's not even that politically incorrect today. Um, there's, you know, there's stuff that could be interpreted kind of differently but but kids aren't going to notice so um it, it was just fun i don't have a lot to say about it other than that um 
you know, it's a classic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes worth revisiting, I guess. Um, and what's really cool about it, they filmed it on location. Pretty much everything is real in the movie. So that's kind of, you know, there's there's a sequence where they're in a swamp. It's a real swamp. And they fight an anaconda. And it's a real anaconda. And it's terrifying. You know, and it's stuff like that. It's, you know, things that you could never see in a movie today. They actually went and did in this particular movie. That's so, true. So there's a pretty cool, interesting stuff that way. Um, the other thing that both of us have seen, which is yep. why we kind of saved it for last year, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Um, I just finished watching it. You saw it a couple months ago. No, I saw yeah. it like uh, you last saw it week. a couple weeks ago. Well, there yeah. you go. We have caught up together. I, it was one of those movies. I saw the the trailer. I'm like, I have to go see this. This is going to be so much fun. And I just missed it. And then it came into McKay where I work, and I snatched the first copy so I could watch it. Um, and it was literally just like a week ago. Nice. Well, I just finished it like two days ago. So. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, Scott? Oh, I found it extremely charming. It was yeah. I kind of I kind of go into Wes Anderson films a little hesitant because his movies are so airtight. Like everything is so meticulously planned, and the the way the frames are set up, I always kind of go, "I'm not going to enjoy this." I like a looser feeling film, and I, I always get one over. <laughs> you know, it's like I always go, "Oh yeah, that's right. That's why I like these." And there's some. Um, my favorite character was when Jason Schwartzman basically showed up at that <laughs> sequence. I thought it was just great um, from him forward. Like, but like everybody in this does a really great job. I loved Edward Norton. His character I thought was really hilarious. And just like, it really brought up a lot of those. Here's what I liked about it is that kind of the empowering of the 10 year old. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it really takes children seriously. And there's a couple of scenes, a couple of sequences that are a little awkward, but also end up being very, um, at least feel very real. It feels like the way it was when I was 10 and talking about girls or experiencing girls and kind of going, oh, yeah. And it's, it brought up a lot of those kind of feelings for me, especially once the, when the two run away and they start, they're dancing on the beach or they're like, they're talking and the way he opens his suitcase and she opens hers and she's showing him all the books. And it's like, there's like that slightly awkward, but completely genuine. Like, I like these things. What do you mm-hmm. think? And he's just like, okay, that's fine. I'll make a note of that. You know, mm-hmm. it, there's, there's a lot in it that I really, really liked. I was a little, sometimes I feel like Wes Anderson can be a little, I keep coming to the word precious. I'm not sure why, but that to me is like the word that I feel like maybe it might be a little, too airtight even still just how strict his camera work is and how strict the 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 script is sometimes i feel like it's just a little too like i feel like he really likes himself sometimes (laughs) it's uh, for me you know i would say it is like the epitome of like the hipster film kind of is maybe maybe, the best way to put it for me but no i I, no i completely agree um i liked it a lot though Mm. i've I tend to generally like Wes Anderson kind of mm-hmm. films. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of like the heightened reality that he creates. Mm-hmm. You know, I always enjoy, I always enjoy that in a film is, is, you know, a filmmaker who can really create their own style and, and do their own. Oh, yeah. Well, and when, it, of, when it's, when it's done well, it, mm-hmm. it, it highlights those things in our own lives. And while our, the, the part of it that we relate to might be more mundane in our life, it does kind of give us something that we can all kind of connect to. And I do like that about his stuff too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, You know, there's stuff in it that I was a little uncomfortable with in some ways, which I think is the point a little Mm -hmm. bit of the film Mm -hmm. is that because it does put children into situations 
that you don't necessarily want children to be in a yeah. little bit. Um, and I think, but I think that's part of the point of it is that it is empowering of the concept of childhood. Yeah, um, and he doesn't really stray from the ugly, even though it's in a weird kind of offbeat way. Mm-hmm. The kids have to deal with some pretty real stuff from time to time, and I, there, there's a couple times like I don't want to. I mean, I guess we can talk about it, but when the dog dies, yeah, poor I was Snoopy. I was really surprised by that mm-hmm. because that's just not something you see usually in a movie, and it just kind of dealt with in such kind of a like oh. Oh look! You killed the dog. You go. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Okay. You know. So there's just little things like little moments like that that kind of surprise me. But yet at the same time, that is part of childhood is dealing with some of that crap for the first time. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, ultimately, at the end of the day, pretty much all of Wes Anderson's movies, but uh, you know, this one especially. Uh, and maybe like the first twenty minutes of it, where they're going through the house and kind of the f- the first little bit of running away and you know mm-hmm. s- setting up the camp and everything and um, you know Edward Norton's first appearance on screen, you know yeah. all of that stuff. Um, you know Wes Anderson to me captures the way childhood felt to me, especially like when I got involved in reading books and things. Um, right. And he, He's not. It's not necessarily that he's capturing the feeling of childhood. He's capturing kind of the remembered feeling of childhood for me. Yes. Um, it, it's it's that piece of imagination that um, you know uh, his sequences play out kind of the way they play out in my mind. Like if I'm reading a story and a scene plays out in my mind, it's almost kind of in that heightened sort of thing, and I can imagine it and I can see it and and he somehow is able to capture some of those feelings that I had mm-hmm. reading and imagining as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something just to me very special about a filmmaker being able to do that. Um, you know, uh, I, Absolutely. I, I would imagine everybody else's mileage will vary with that. Uh, and I know there's people who don't get Wes Anderson at all and that's fine. Um, but they can I, record their own podcasts about movies they should love, but don't. Exactly. Uh, but I, and maybe that's the best segue. I love this movie, though. Um, yeah. And, no, I, uh, I and I, yeah, this is one I definitely enjoyed. I am a little bit hit and miss with Wes Anderson at, from time to time. Um, there's certain ones of his that I don't get, I would say, as much as I get other ones. Um, but this is, I would put this up there with, for me, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. It's yeah. like, this is. This is really, really good. Yeah, Royal Tenenbaums is definitely... It's, that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people go uh, to Bottle Rocket or Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Um, Royal Tenenbaums. Maybe that's because it was my first, but to me, that is... It's it's great. It, to me, it's still a great movie that holds up, and I love it. Yeah, agreed. So, um, anyway, kind of on that, let's segue here into our topic of the day, I guess. Yes. Um, these movies that people we, love, but we don't. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, we again, I, we talked about at the beginning of the, the episode. There are times, though, every I think we've all had that experience where someone goes, "Oh, you will love this movie. I love this so much. We went and saw it three times in the theater. I'll let you borrow my copy." And you're like, "Okay, that sounds great." You get home and you're like, "Why am I friends with this person? I don't even understand." <laughs> <laughs> um, or you know, there's just those movies that you go into film class and everybody's like, "This is a great movie. This changed filmmaking forever," and you go, "I don't." get it i i don't know there's just those movies that we you know we kind of recognize that maybe we should love them but we just we can't get on board with them we just there's there's something missing for us or whatever um i don't know yeah. lauren 
where do you, how do you want to start this? Yeah, well, um, uh, let me just preface our list. Scott and I developed our lists completely separate of each other. We did. Um, and so I don't know if this says something about us more than <laughs> more than anything in our friendship. I, I, I have a theory that we may be the first people to bring some of these guys down. <laughs> I think we're going to say what everybody's thinking, what I'm to say. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, what, what I'm going to say is is there's very few movies on our lists that I think either of us would just completely disagree with. Yeah. Um, but well, there are there is one on yours I do completely disagree with. I don't. I I have to hear you. I have to hear why you don't like it because I have no I have no idea why anybody would dislike it. But right. go on. Um, and uh, but that said that. Um, you know, this is. There were several that we both completely agreed yeah, on. Yeah, no, like Lauren kind of texted me and was like, "Hey, what do you think about this for an episode idea?" I was like, "That sounds really good." And so while I was working on a couple other projects and editing some past episodes, I kind of had a text file open where I was just kind of throwing movie titles, and I'm like, "I'd like to talk about this movie. I'd like to talk about this movie." I opened up our shared document this morning, and uh, we have like five films that we both have listed <laughs> of like, well, I don't get this movie at all. Why do people like this movie? So, right. So I think that's a good place to start. Sure. Um, and why don't, why don't Let's we work start from the bottom and work our way up? Okay. On this list that you've uh, assembled that I have. So uh, with the special recognition, are we saving that for, let's, well, let's start with a special, special recognition. Um, okay. I think we could probably even do both of those that you've listed, unless you want to come back to your other one. Well, let's just let's do the one that we both agree on. Okay, and we'll come back. So, this yeah, this is a movie that I think you said right before the podcast uh, might not need to be included because I don't think it did very well in the theater. I don't think anybody really likes this movie, except for a few people that we know. There's a few people that we know that really liked it, and it this movie. But it sparked a very special and powerful hatred in us almost instantly. Because here, here's what I'm going to say. Out of the movies on our list, these are movies that I don't particularly connect to or don't really enjoy watching or, or, or whatever. I think this is the only movie on both of our list that has literally inspired hatred. <laughs> um. I I cannot think of really any other movies that I can just go, I hate that movie. Literal hatred for that movie. This movie, pretty much there with it. Yeah, I, I can't I can't think of anything else really. I mean this this is a very special movie. Yeah. This is um And and the movie is I don't I don't think anybody's going to expect this. I, I, um <laughs> But it is it is enough. Starring Jennifer um, Lopez. Lopez. Sorry, I was going to say Garner, and and then I felt horrible because I was going to malign her name. No, yeah. Jennifer Lopez. Um, it's probably a movie nobody has seen because it. I don't think it did well. I don't think it um, should have done well. Definitely. Yeah. I don't think it was reviewed well. No. But my goodness, this movie from from the instant we started watching it, basically. And. Um, and this is the interesting thing about it. This was a movie that we watched together. Um, it is. This was somehow this was a it movie. It is. That's right. That that inspired hatred in both of us. And yet we, we watched it at Kelly's house when we were dating. That's right. Um, when Kelly and I were dating, actually. Yeah, not, I not Scott say. and I. Ah, my uh, goodness, I don't even know where to start with how much I dislike this. Well, movie. Well, I will start with what really ticks me off about this movie is that it sets itself up as this pro woman movie, and I think there. I think the people who do like it. Kelly, um, <laughs> see it as that, as a you know, and I, and I can see 
a certain side of the argument where they're like, but look at what she does. She takes control of her life. Isn't this exactly what you want out of, you know, movies like with Snow White and the Huntsman? Um, yes, but I still want them to be well-written. I still want them to, you know, to show a certain side of life that I just, I, I ah, it frustrates me because <laughs> uh, you, I think it's the actor's, I think his name is Billy Campbell. The guy from The Rocketeer, right? Yeah, I believe so. I've blotted so much of this movie out of my mind. Um, he he shows up in the movie as this completely suave, like, hey, you like this house? I'm going to buy you this house. Hey, you like this? I'm going to treat you to that. You deserve the best. They get married, and he's like, shut up, woman, and just starts beating her but, up. You're like... But the thing is, it's not even it's not even once they're married. It's like five years into their marriage. It comes out of zero, like out of nowhere. Because because they have a five-year-old at this point. That's right. That's right. I forgot about the five-year-old. And there have, yes, it's basically five years have gone by. And there's been, there has been absolutely no... No build-up to this man being an abusive, horrible, controlling, evil man. Yeah. You're introduced to him as a good man. You are led to believe that they have been in a loving relationship for five years where this child and where this woman have no inkling that something is wrong and then suddenly all hell breaks loose and here's the th- and here's part of my hatred for this movie i think this movie is really dangerous yes because i believe that there are women who feel this way who feel like i did not know he was abusive it came out of nowhere I feel I believe there are women who feel that way, but I do not I have never seen a situation that presents itself in this way. And I think this movie tries to pass us off off as truth. Mm-hmm. I think a better movie would have began with him maybe being physical or maybe being abusive, but maybe not towards her. Maybe he flies off the handle at a waiter and then later on he beats up a guy who tries to do something you know really kind of show that there is a certain violent side that maybe even scares her a little bit but at the same time is has never been directed towards her and so she doesn't you know i feel like that would have been a little bit more accurate and and then that way you could you could use this movie as a conversation piece and go see this is the kind of stuff that leads to that or if you see these signs it could be red flags because those that anger, that physicality might be turned towards you at some point, but it's not. It's just it's just like it is just a complete reversal of character that comes out of nowhere just because that mm-hmm. I guess they thought would be an interesting story. And there is a final reveal towards the end of the movie that his character when they met he basically rescued her from kind of this harassing kind of guy who was saying inappropriate things to her as a waitress. Yeah. Um, and there's a reveal later on in the movie that he kind of set that up to get that guy to go do it so he could then go intervene and kind of appear as a hero. Yeah. And rescue her. However, to me, that is not enough of a setup Mm-mm. To go into like full blown, I'm going to kill you level of abuse. Yeah, because that's what it becomes. He becomes like a crazy man, like car chases and wrecking, you know, just the whole thing. Kid- kidnapping children and, uh, you know, a whole level of, and, yeah, of and, evil. And so I appreciate the montage of Jennifer Lopez getting stronger and then she's going to fight back and she, you know, and she wins. It's like, that needed to be put into a much better film with characters much more rooted in reality. It doesn't need to be a super gritty rated R movie. You know, it just, it, it can be a movie that 
demonstrates a slightly stronger connection to what I what I have experienced as reality. Exactly. Um, and there's 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 a lot of things I can say about this movie, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it just it just frustrates me on every single level. Basically, absolutely. Um, it's even if it is a solid feminist message, it completely loses any sense of grounding in reality by diminishing the masculine message in it. Yeah. Um, for, for, you know, for the feminist ideal to work, there also has to be a masculine ideal. And I agree. And I am, and I'm honestly okay with a movie that, it, that I don't think all movies have to present both sides equally. You know, we've had plenty of movies about men fighting for women. You know, mm-hmm. there are, there have been plenty of movies of you know shining uh, shining white knights on white horses saving damsels. I'm totally okay with a movie going. No, hold on, this damsel is going to fight for herself. Mm-hmm. I'm totally fine with that. Mm-hmm. But it still needs to have reality. Something. Yeah, there needs it, to be something, yes. something rooted there. And you know, if it's not too much to ask, I would love for a movie to also kind of maybe show while doing that also have a message for men to be like, hey. Don't be this guy. This means this, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I will try to respect that. You know, it's like I, I need that too. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, so enough holds a place of special recognition for us. <laughs> Not so much as that it is a movie that everyone loves, but it is a movie that Scott and I truly hate, and we would really recommend everybody avoiding it at all costs. Yes. So now that we pique your interest about why we hate it so much, we're going to see it. Uh, okay. So other movies that we really dislike, though, yeah. Scott. Um, Next on our list, working upwards yeah. in no particular order, uh, Dirty Dancing. Yeah. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, it, it's like it's one of those movies that's you know very much in my wheelhouse. I love dances. I love dancing. I watch So You Think You Can Dance. I've seen most of the Step Up movies. I like musicals. Like There's a lot going on in this movie that I go, okay, I like the soundtrack a lot, actually. I have the soundtrack on my computer, and it's a good soundtrack. Um, I like the time period. It's set in the 50s, despite the 80s soundtrack. Um, but yeah, like there's just a lot in this movie that just kind of sets, that kind of goes against the good feelings that the movie tries to have, and it just ultimately doesn't work for me and i know people love it especially women and girls they love patrick swayze in this and what he does for baby um well no one puts baby in a corner well um uh, but i don't know it's <laughs> just a movie that i've watched it two or three times now and every time i watch it it works a little bit less for me like the first time i had a certain about a certain magic but at the same time there were these little things kind of popped up like wow they're dealing with abortion in this movie that's weird oh and now they're okay go on go on and by the end of it i'm just left unimpressed yeah no i i completely agree it's not it's not a badly made film i just i feel like you know i i feel like all of the actors do exactly what was required of them for the movie Mm -hmm. i feel like it's you know shot fine and you know everything is fine with it i think ultimately I think this is going to be kind of a true statement for a lot of these movies for us, is that it really falls apart for me in the writing of it. Mm-hmm. And specifically in in the the messages and the way it's trying to get its messages across. Yeah. I, you know, at the end of the day, I just don't... I don't connect with the messages that it wants to give. Mm-hmm. 
um, even if I do maybe ultimately agree with some of the points, mm-hmm. but I, I, I don't connect with, with the implementation of it. Yeah. And I don't connect. Um, ultimately, I, I don't feel, I don't feel the movie connects within itself to actually make any of it matter or have a real purpose. And so it kind of just all falls apart as something that just doesn't work as a cohesive whole for me. I, I honestly think this is a movie that was kind of like the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's kind of loved. I think it became, it, it, we hadn't really had a movie quite like this when it came out and it sealed itself into the hearts of a lot of, um, a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And I they think shared it with their daughters or right. Their, and so it, know, it, has, it has become a classic because of mm-hmm. that. And I don't think, but I don't when just watching it, just stepping up to watch it right now. He's kind of go, this doesn't seem that different than a, step up three or it, it, there's nothing really that inherently special about it and there's nothing necessarily that sets it apart from some of these other dance movies it just was maybe one of the first movies to be really like dance yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah not to, not to discredit every all the Fred Astaire dance movies no yesteryear no. just saying you know like this kind of modern era of kind of the modern era of teenage rebellion dancing kind yeah, of exactly thing. you know this came out at the same time around the same time as footloose and some of those movies where ultimately when you really get down to it it's like footloose's storyline is almost identical to the new step up four movie a step up revolution that came out mm-hmm. and step up revolution is really kind of laughable but it's got some great dance sequences mm-hmm. and honestly you can say the same thing about footloose it just right time right place hit struck a chord Mm-hmm. And here we are. Honestly, I could say almost all the same things about another movie, but I'll hold on to that until later. <laughs> Great. Came out at the same time. Teasers ah, for later teasers. in the episode. Ooh. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, now um, we get controversial, Lauren. Here we go. Let's let's get into it. Yes. Let's get rid of some listeners. All right. All right. Listeners who are about to drop out. Uh, the next movie that we are going to talk about that we just do not like. Um, is there will be blood? Mm. Um, oh, there you go. Some people just <laughs> threw their computers and Did iPods across the are, room in rage. All right, just give them a second because they're going to realize that it was silly for them to just damage their product, and they're going to go run over across the room, pick it up, clean it back mm-hmm. off, pick up their podcast, put it back in their ear, and okay, okay here welcome we go. Back. All right, welcome back. Yes, there will be blood. <laughs> right. So here's here's the thing with this movie. I respect this movie. I do yes. not like this movie. Yes. Um, I think it is. A fantastic piece of filmmaking that I I do not connect with it in the sense of that I really hate the message of this film. Yes, um, that I would say exactly the same thing. With my conclusion being, my it does not represent my worldview in any way. Yes, yes, you know, and so I have a hard time with that. That being said, I can still read a book. I can still watch a movie that doesn't represent my worldview, but this one seems to really antagonize my worldview, which really just kind of makes me go, well, I never have to watch that again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's to me, this is, this is the story of a man who has every opportunity in the world to be a good human person mm-hmm. and actively pursues going the other direction and becoming the worst possible human he can become. Right. And, you know, being the worst person doesn't... I mean, he could still be a multi-millionaire in the oil fields. He could still take advantage of this incredible opportunity. He could still become very wealthy. But he is just a despicable human being at every turn. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm going to out myself if I haven't already as a Christian on this podcast. And so the conclusion of this film is especially enraging. Not to say that the pastor was a good person, or what the pastor did to him in the church was a good thing. I'm not saying that at all. I, I think the pastor was also kind of a slimy creepball, which kind of frustrates me. But the way he deals with the pastor in the bowling alley really, really, really just infuriates me and hurts me and just I can't believe that kind of just like I it just kind of stunned me into like this horrific silence and then the movie ended like that's the point <laughs> you go okay <laughs> I'm glad it's fictitious <laughs> <laughs> you know just he and maybe we should I mean and maybe, and for those of you who maybe who are listening to this who aren't Christian, um, what he does to the pastor in that final moment, um, he makes him renounce his faith. He makes him do all of these things. He makes them actively protest that there is no God, that there is no heaven. And for a Christian, that is a big, 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 big deal. Um, that is the stuff of martyrdom is made of. And what, what, whatever you whatever you think about religion, if you get into the, the brass tacks of Christianity and religion, um, the biggest deal is professing what you believe and what you don't believe. And that the reason that we look up to the martyrs in, of Rome and we look up to people like uh, Stephen and we look up to something like Daniel, these are people who would not renounce their faith when thrown to the lions, thrown to the tigers. And then you have this man who makes him renounce all of that and then kills him so that by the pastor's worldview, he has now doomed himself to damnation. Mm -hmm. And that is something that he specifically took from that pastor, that he specifically sought out to destroy this man, not only on earth, but in the eternal, in eternal life, should there be one, that the, you know, should, the, should eternal life be something that is accurate to this pastor's worldview, he has made sure that he does not get that. So this, so this contemptible Daniel Day-Lewis character has said, not only am I going to destroy you, I'm going to send you to hell forever. Regardless of whether or not you believe in hell forever, that just, like, it is the most despicable thing I can think of, honestly. Right. Whether, whether you have the Christian worldview or not, taking that away from someone who does... That, that, that's what, and that's what I'm trying to get ...is at. kind of that ultimate evil act. It's like, that's what it's I'm like he has gone into the most evil... Yes. That, place. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this less as a, a thing about me and more of a thing about that character, mm-hmm. that he recognized that's what would be important to this guy, and then he just strips him of that in a very brutal, emotionally draining, spiritually draining, physical way, and they end the movie on that. And I, so, I think you said this, and I'll let you flush it out more, that... Um, Pass that a that all movies are kind of a redemption story or not, mm-hmm. and this movie is really the unredemption story. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a damnation story basically. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's the thing that frustrates me is that I don't mind I don't mind characters who do not become redeemed. I you know I I think that's a valid story to tell. Is is someone. You know, not even looking in the Christian sense of it, but just you know, the the character arc, arc either going in a redemptive path where they become a better person, or a you know a destructive path where they move to their own destruction. You know, because I, I think Citizen Kane does a similar yeah. thing. It's 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 the same path, but 
there is an element to There Will Be Blood of... Um, I, I, I don't know. To me, it's an extra level of going all the way to damnation. It's it's not a confused path. It's almost a a reveling in that choice kind of thing. Well, and I think part of it, too, is that I, 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 I love a good tragedy. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with tragedies. But I feel like this is all, this might if you take a tragedy and you couple it with postmodernism, I think you have a frustrating film experience like this because not only is this a tragedy, it's a tragedy that kind of refuses to comment on it. Mm-hmm. You know, most tragedies are not postmodern and will actually say, this is the, a story about a man's fall and look at how he destroys his whole life. Isn't that horrible? Mm-hmm. There will be blood is like, this is a man who does all of these things. Here are the credits. And you're like, I mean, it's like they want you I guess he wants us to talk about it and discuss it, mm-hmm. but I feel like the postmodern philosophy doesn't actually coincide with what a tragedy is. A tragedy has to be a tragic thing, and that has to come from a place where we all agree that this is a good thing and this is a bad thing, and look at what he does. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not convinced the postmodern tragedy works. Yeah. That said, I know it works for a lot of you, so... Um Write us your hate mail. Yeah, at movies you should on Twitter or moviesyoushouldlove.com. <laughs> so uh, let's go to maybe our most controversial because uh, how I think more controversial than not liking there will be blood, Lauren. Oh, I don't know, Scott. <laughs> Could it be that we are about to basically decry the last oh what ten fifteen years of one of America's most beloved? Filmmakers of all time. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, and I just it could scratch, be true. People talk about him, and I just scratch my head. Yes, because basically, neither of us like pretty much anything Quentin Tarantino has done since, since Kill Bill. Fiction. Or not Kill Bill, I'm sorry, since Pulp Fiction. Like, Pulp Fiction was, like, to me, like, his... The, the ultimate, yeah, yes. Like, that was, like, he was... That was an awesome movie. Since then... I feel like everything has kind of been living in the shadow of Pulp Fiction, and people are giving him a pass. Yeah. I'll say I, that. <laughs> I feel very similarly. I, I, which is not to say there aren't elements in his movies that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about Kill Bill, and I'll talk about Inglorious Bastards? Sure. Do something um, like that? Or we can it, just attack it all over the place? Yeah, no, no. Let, uh, Kill Bill, uh, you know, Kill Bill for me is all style and no substance. And and I would say that's a problem with the film, other than I know that's exactly what he was going for. Right. Um, you know, he, he specifically was trying to create a very specific stylistic option, and, and really it's entirely about the lack of substance to it. I mean, that's, that's kind of the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or movies, I guess, is really maybe the yeah. better way to, to phrase that. And... Uh, Quite frankly, without without the substance, the amount of death and destruction seems entirely pointless to me. And and just doing something for a specific recreation of a time period in cinema or for a creating just a specific look or something, while maybe a fun exercise for a filmmaker just leaves me cold it doesn't yeah um you know technically they're they're beautiful films i mean they're shot beautifully they are choreographed very well um but there's absolutely nothing 
in them that I like. Well, that's what frustrates me and kind of confounds me about both him and Robert Rodriguez is that they both have this very clear love of different styles of film Mm -hmm. um, from the 70s, we'll say specifically. Um, But instead of taking some of those ideas and trying to apply them to a new and modern story and and trying to learn from those movies and trying to make the overall experience better, Mm -hmm. they seem to really enjoy just remaking those movies with F-bombs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we're gonna, let's make that same thing. So isn't it cool when they do that? And like, but you're not doing anything really new with it. You're just filming it better. You have a bigger budget, a better cinematographer, and a better choreographer. But ultimately, it's the same thing. Haven't? Why do we want to make B movies? Why do we want to make movies that we all agree? Oh, this is a bad movie, but it's going to be fun to watch. I don't under. I just I've never quite understood that. And I feel like he really just he shows his you know. Mm-hmm. The, the things that he loves are right out there on his sleeve going, this is the movies I'm trying to recreate. It's like, well, why don't you take that mindset, that mentality, or even that aesthetic and do something else? I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't understand it. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's why both of us uh, really responded to Pulp Fiction very well. Mm-hmm. And and maybe some of his earlier work before that, you know. Um, well, that, that's Jackie the thing. Brown and whatnot. Because I, I feel he had I, things well, he was actually saying during some of that i you know i feel like he was taking kind of a genre and actually pushing it into some new yeah ways. well like i i mean i really like true romance he wrote that but didn't direct it mm-hmm. uh reservoir dogs really oh, kind reservoir of dogs. changed my life that was one of those movies i mentioned on an earlier podcast that the films of kevin smith really inspired me as i went into film school uh but so did reservoir dogs in a really big way because i realized you could tell a crime story in this new and interesting way you could if you could find a good location you could make an entire movie around one location and it could be it could be gripping and thrilling and entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like, and he did something new, and it was fascinating. And he showed us a part of the crime movie, the heist movie that we never see. Mm-hmm. The afterwards, you know, it's like that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And Pulp Fiction did this really crazy storytelling style, and it kind of changed independent filmmaking, filmmaking forever. And then for me, after that is where I start losing interest very quickly. Everybody recommends Jackie Brown as like this unsung hero of the Quentin Tarantino oeuvre. It doesn't work for me though. Like I've tried to watch, I've seen, I've tried, I've watched, I've watched it through once, and I didn't really enjoy it. And then people kept talking about it so much. I've tried to watch it two other times since then, and both times I get forty-five minutes in and just go, I just, I don't care, <laughs> you know, and I just go on to other things. Um, I don't know. It's like I, I don't completely understand, and I, I want to write it off as people just. Um, they like Quentin's panache and charisma and his personal charisma, and then he takes that personal charisma and infuses it into his scripts. Mm-hmm. I want to write it off as that, but I don't. I honestly don't get it. Like mm-hmm. Inglorious Bastards, I saw the trailer for Inglorious Bastards and I got excited. I was like, "This could be a movie for me." It's got Brad Pitt. It's set in World War II. It's got the catchy Quentin Tarantino dialogue, mm-hmm. and I didn't see it in the theater. Um, but I saw it, I think, like the, the week it came out on DVD, I, I picked up a copy. And um, and this might not be fair, but ultimately it was just not the movie I wanted it to be. Like The movie that was advertised was not the movie that was in the DVD. Um, and what I, what I really... And, that, and, that, and I know that's not fair, because that's just my expectations aren't being met. And so I've tried to judge the movie, I've tried to step back and judge the movie for what it is, 
the the internal workings of this movie, and I have decided that that movie would have been the best trilogy of movies I would have ever have seen. Um, I would, and I would have loved for that, but it's three movies cut into one, and because of that, I don't think any of the three parts work. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that at all uh, because with with Quentin Tarantino, I think he's an incredibly incredibly talented person. Yes, um, you, can't, you cannot argue that at all. He is. And, talented. and I mean, he does dialogue better than anyone in the industry, perhaps other than uh, uh, Aaron, Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd like to get the two of them to a write off and see, <laughs> you know, maybe we can answer it once and for all and get the best thing ever out of it. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, um, you know, it's it, Inglorious Bastards is a movie that has so many fascinating sequences that don't actually make a movie when you're done with it. Yes. Um, like I said, like if he had, if he had said, Hey guys, I'm going away for five years. When I come back, I'm going to have the inglorious ba- bastards trilogy. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. Part one is going to be about this girl who works for the, the French underground and mm-hmm. lives in a theater. And it's going to be really interesting. Part two is going to be about this Nazi. That's right. The movie is going to be about a Nazi guy hunting down Jews. Mm-hmm. Part three is going to be about this American crack squad of commandos and then all three stories are going to come together in this big conclusion and i think that could have been really amazing Mm -hmm. because i think all like i said all three of those parts are kind of fascinating but we're not given enough of any of them for me to really be satisfied and i don't feel like there's enough there to really justify some of the themes that he's trying to get into and ultimately what we're given is just like some really disturbing sequences, some really amazing sequences. Like the, the opening scene of the, the, oh the Nazi goodness. at the, the cabin is just like, oh, it is yeah. so well done. Yeah. But it ultimately is not, is, I don't know if, if I feel like it's, it's for naught. You know, you just kind of go, that leads to really nothing or nowhere. And it just, you have a lot of great scenes. And here's what I come back to is I feel like if he was a writer, period, mm-hmm. I feel like. Um, you would have editors or you'd have directors or producers going, hey, great job, Quentin. Could we get another draft of this? Maybe where we introduce some of these ideas earlier or there's a better tie-off of this thing. Could we introduce this and that? I think he might be a better writer. But since he's a writer-director, I don't think he has anybody looking over his shoulder. And I feel like what ends up, when you look at his films, specifically after Pulp Fiction going forward, you have a lot of scripts that would have been it, they remind me of film school scripts where you're like, that is the best script I've ever read. And you realize you're still in film school. And so it's probably pretty terrible still. Not to say his scripts are terrible. They're just not refined. They just don't have anybody looking over his shoulder going, Quentin, this is, have you, have you seen the Kill Bill script? This is terribly uneven. This is not paced well at all. Why do you have all the action in the first half and nothing interesting happening in the second half? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's, I feel like he needs someone on his side to <laughs> assage him or just kind of go, yeah. this is what we need. Which, which you know, I will say the one thing that I really respect about him is that he is at least trying to do things kind of outside of the box. Mm-hmm. I just wish that that was not at the cost of sometimes doing things inside the box when it would be better for what he's doing. Yes. I think that's maybe maybe the biggest thing with him is that I think he really feels like he has done things that have changed cinema that he 
has to do things differently now, and he does them purposefully differently, often in times when he doesn't really have to. Yes. Or doesn't maybe he doesn't even need to. I think I think that need is even more important than the have to. Because I think there are times when using other forms of traditional storytelling that he might have made a, a much better film. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, there you go. Now that we have pretty much uh, made everyone mad <laughs> between those two, um, let's talk about some of our more individual movies here, yeah, Scott. Yeah, we can kind of wrap this up a little bit by touching on some of these. Um, let me think. Where do I want to begin? I'll, <laughs> I'll start with the low-hanging fruit of Napoleon Dynamite. I don't get it. I just don't understand the appeal. Um I, I watched it once, and I remember there being two moments that actually made me laugh. And the most frustrating part about watching this movie was I was watching it with two people who loved the movie and who would look at me to get my reaction from all the awesome, hilarious jokes that weren't in the film. Um, <laughs> and I was just, I, I think most of the time I watched it with just this like quizzical, okay look. And I've, I, I just, over the years, I've discovered what is at the root of my uncomfortableness with this movie is when I watched it, and I've never gone back to watch it because I just don't care to. Um, when I watched it, I couldn't decide if we were laughing at well-crafted jokes or if we were laughing at people who are different than us. Um, there's like this root, there's like this, and because that's kind of how it was pitched to me when I, afterwards I was like, I don't get it, you guys. And they're like, but don't you remember there were those kids in school that were just like that? You know, like, oh, I have my chapstick. Oh, whatever. Gosh. I'm like, so we're laughing at pe- we're laughing at nerds? Is that what's going on? I don't understand. Um, and so I still really don't. And this also, I could also throw into this same category a lot of Ricky Gervais's humor, which I just, I honestly makes me uncomfortable all the way to his show, An Idiot Abroad, where I assume everybody is really smart and is really well-crafted humor here, but it walks this line that makes me really uncomfortable where I can't tell if I'm actually laughing at an idiot or if I'm laughing at someone who's making comedy. Yeah. Because there's a difference to me of like going, ha ha, you're dumb. Or going, that's really funny. You know, look at the way cultures collide. You know, so... I, I, I know I'm I'm kind of alone in the universe when it comes to na- my not getting Napoleon Dynamite, Ricky Gervais, and Carl uh, Pil- Pilkington, um, but I, I, I honestly I just it, a lot of that humor kind of makes me uncomfortable because it, it it's too gray. It I don't know if I'm laughing at somebody or with somebody. Yeah, um, and I I will pretty much agree with you on Napoleon Dynamite. I think I get into the Ricky Gervais thing a little bit more than you do, but Napoleon Dynamite, I am right there with you um i just it didn't it did not connect it came out it came out at kind of the same time as garden state did mm-hmm. and i remember like uh, we were both in film school and i rushed out to see garden state because i love zach braff at the time scrubs was on tv i saw garden state and i was like holy cow somebody's been inside my brain and has written a movie that really kind of touches on a lot of emotional truth for me. Um, so I came back to school the next day going, have you guys seen the movie? And everybody was quoting Napoleon Dynamite. And everybody was like, ugh, Garden State. Did you see Napoleon Dynamite? He's got awesome bow fighting skills and he likes a liger. <laughs> I'm like, you guys are dumb. I, 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 don't, I don't understand the world I'm living in. What's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, let's see here. Uh, you know, I'm going to... this. I think this is the movie that you really want to hear what I have to say, so I will just jump into it. All ears. Um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I just do not like this movie. Really? Yeah. I... It's... It is a movie that, you know, I grew up... I, you know, I, I, I am a huge, huge, huge video gamer. I love yeah. video games. Um, I love nerd culture. Uh, you know, but I think I think that what happened is I grew up playing PC video games okay. versus Nintendo right. and other such things. You, you didn't I'm play not, the console games. I didn't play the consoles. I was not on the consoles, and yeah. I'm not a comic book person right um which will bring me to a whole separate point later on right and um man yeah i just there was nothing about this movie that i connected to interesting it's it is a movie that despite my love of video games Mm -hmm. i did not feel i did not feel there was anything in it that accurately represented my love of video games it was a console heavy as far as the references go and everything and that um, in some ways, it actually reinforced a lot of the things I don't like about video games. And aside from that, I found a lot of the characterizations to be really frustrating and to ultimately to be people that I did not really connect with. Interesting. Um, and so it kind of fell apart on almost all levels for me. It, it did not connect with me on the nerd level that it should have connected with mm-hmm. me on. It did not connect with me on the characterization levels that it should have connected with me on and kind of at the end of the day um the story of it which i i like in general the concept of taking down these boss characters yeah as kind of a romantic gesture kind mm-hmm. of if you will i like this concept but it was not enough when everything else had fallen down that kind of structure is not strong enough in this movie to really push it either Interesting. and so and so, pretty much nothing about it works for me. Fair enough, because I, I adore this movie. Like, I, like we recently rewatched it with London because we were looking for a movie that we could all enjoy, and it's just a movie that I kind of giggle my way through. I and I'm not I'm not going to argue and tell you you're wrong because you're not. I mean, you you absolutely have your your right to not like a movie, but like it's just I love the comedy of it. Like I feel like it's just packed with jokes, and I just kind of love it. Um, and I wonder if that's not because I did read the books, and I hate that excuse because I don't agree with it. And if if it's because I read the books, it might be a failing of the movie. But yeah, I really because in the to me, it's it's very clear that the fighting of the bosses is like a, a metaphor for helping someone get over their past and their baggage, and that might not be something that comes out of the movie. Or for, even if even if it does, it might not just still might not be something you connect with. And that's fascinating to me because, like I said, like it's a movie I saw it in the theater. I pre-ordered the Blu-ray, and I probably watched it half a dozen times at this point because I just like it. <laughs> it's just a fun movie to me, but that's fair. <laughs> oh, good. <clears throat> no, no, I mean, so, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that did not blow up. At no, I, I, there we go. I, honestly, I, I, I can't blow up no. at you. It's not like you say you dislike all superhero movies or something. Oh, well, that brings me to, to point number five here What's on that? my list. Um, this is an entire category of movies that I just am really over and tired of, and that is mm-hmm. uh, all superhero movies. I'm done. Goodbye, <laughs> <up>. everybody. <laughs> no, um, this is a genre 
that, again, I did not grow up listening to or watching or being a part of that community. You know, I did not grow up with comic books. It was not, uh, it was not the area that I read the comics that I did read growing up. Um, I read, um, I read some Tintin, <laughs> which pushes me into a weird place. I think already to begin What's with, you no, know, I stormed out of here and kicked a cat. So nice. that's on you. I'm okay with that. Um, and, and I mean, that was about it. You know, uh, for me, superheroes for me growing up were people like Robin Hood mm-hmm. and Zorro. And, um, you know, again, I was much more into, this is going to sound horribly elitist. And I don't mean this because I actually am in a place where I actually really respect comic books and what they do now. Mm-hmm. But as a child, I was much more into what I would have termed at that point real books. Mm-hmm. So I don't mean that to no, be mean. To, to, I understand. But I call them book books. Yes. Or half-assed um, comic books. People who can't be bothered to write, draw pictures. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, just the whole the whole superhero genre. Uh, to to me, I'm at a point, and. And I know there's there's movies I need to catch up. I, you know, I haven't seen Avengers yet. I haven't seen Captain America. Um, haven't seen. You should at least see Avengers, even yeah. if you don't see Captain America. I mean, I, th- I know some nerds would argue you need to see all the Marvel movies before you see Avengers, but you should at least check out Avengers. It's incredibly yeah. fun. Um, but basically, I don't I don't have a huge need to catch up on on most of this stuff. I, there's there's nothing driving me to it. To me, very much. Almost all of the superhero movies feel kind of like I'm watching the same movie over and over, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of done watching that particular story. There's definitely, I think, there's definitely an argument that uh, the superhero movie has some tropes that it likes to use and reuse, and mm-hmm. I think they would do well to distance themselves from some of these to recognize what they are and distance themselves. And I think some of them are doing it, but some of them are frustratingly not. And I, yeah. I really can't be mad at somebody who doesn't. No. I mean, honestly, it's like, no, it's just a genre that doesn't appeal to you. And yeah. I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're wrong. No, and, and the thing is, I'm glad this genre exists for the people who do love it. Because uh, just because I don't like something doesn't mean it shouldn't exist. Right. The, the only thing I would say is that I wish there was more other large summer entertainment coming out in genres that I did want to see. Michael Bay's work on Transformers 4, even as we speak. That should probably have gone on our list. I don't know how Transformers <laughs> did not make it on our list of movies that we do not really like. Um, but, uh, you no, know, I, I, I understand what you're saying, though. I, I would really like to see... I feel like the, the, the comic book movie has really co-opted a whole, a whole season of entertainment. And I would really like to see that world able to expand. So it's not just comic book movies for three months solid. And on that note, um, before I even saw your list, I had the idea, and this is going to be a future episode. It's probably not going to appear for uh, several weeks, probably. Maybe it might not even appear till the to the new year. But what you just said, how superhero movies have kind of co-opted the summer season, I think is a very fascinating thing. And I'm actually putting together a, a podcast where I'm going to interview some people of different walks of life, different loves. Um, and kind of get their opinion on superhero films and why they have taken over in such an interesting way. Because they've been around for 70 years, these superheroes. Um, why is it that they are now taking over? Is it a new thing? Is it just, why do we keep going back to them? But I, I, honestly, I think what you said earlier 
um, about your love for book books um, growing up is a uh, completely legitimate. And honestly, for me, and I think for a lot of people, um, these are kind of new ways to explore some of those because mm-hmm. you have Hawkeye and you have Green Arrow who are both very Robin Hood-like characters. And you have Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman who have a very Greek pantheon uh, a relationship to each other. It's very hard not sometimes not to see Superman as Zeus and Batman as Hades and Wonder Woman as Athena. It's like it's hard not to see some of that. And I think for some people... That is, I think it's kind of connecting to some people on that level. And I think it's totally fine that, you know, I, I think it's, I love it that you are so disinterested in them because <laughs> I'm so interested in them. Um, but it, I think it does go back to our, our childhoods. You know, my parents mm-hmm. very uh, stupidly bought me a Superman comic book when I was little and also recorded the Christopher Reeve Superman movie for me when it was on TV. And those two things in and of themselves kind of changed my life and the way I see, you know, it it changed the kind of media I uh, consume. Um, So, yeah. I I mean, again, I I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a thing. It's, it's a genre you don't particularly care for. I don't like anything with swords that aren't light. That aren't light. (laughs) Speaking of, no, that is not actually a segue anywhere onto our, no. Um, Okay. I want to touch on another beloved movie that women seem to like. And this was the movie that I was kind of, teasing about when we were talking about uh, Dirty Dancing and that's Pretty Woman um, I literally have never understood the appeal of Pretty Woman um, I've had many women tell me it's because I'm a man and maybe my Y chromosome keeps me out of the love of Pretty Woman <laughs> uh, b- both of them do or both of ours do I think maybe, you know I, I don't get it cause I, mean, I like romantic movies you know, give me a Pride and Prejudice any day. Give me Bridget Jones' Diary. Give me some of these great romantic movies. Mm-hmm. Love Actually, romantic mm-hmm. comedies. I love them. I mm-hmm. really am a sucker for get, a romantic movie. Get some Notting Hill on or My Best Friend's Wedding, and you it's, know, yeah, I will enjoy that movie. Both other classic Julia Roberts. Yeah, you know, um, give me the, a Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I like those movies. Pretty Woman doesn't work for me on any level. I find it an insulting movie, personally. I find it insulting and super creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I again, going back to the, the idea of um, empowering women, it's like, here you have a movie from the female perspective who just needs a man to save her from her prostitution. Because, to me, that's the biggest, weirdest thing about this movie. It's about a prostitute. You know, and it's like, I don't get why there's this love for Richard Gere in this movie because or, or anywhere really. Well, I, I'm sorry, but especially in this movie. Yeah, I, I there are movies of Richard Gere's I like, you know, but generally speaking, I can agree. Um, I like <laughs> uh, maybe that's the one. Um, but um, with this movie, you have like this. You have this woman, or you have okay. Let's, let's focus on Richard Gere. Here's a guy. He's flying in from the East Coast on business. Doesn't want to be alone. So he hires a prostitute, and then the prostitute goes, oh, I think this guy really likes me. He seems to want to spend time with me and want to have sex with me. He must like me. I wish I could live with him forever. Guess what? I get to. Yay. You're like, what? This is the weirdest movie. Like, I, I just don't get it. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it just doesn't make sense to make as a movie Richard Gere comes off as super creepy. Like, the way I would love for this movie to have ended was for the movie, two-thirds of the movie to be completely the same. 
and have it just be from her perspective where she's really kind of fallen for him. And at the end, he goes, you know, I'm married, right? I have kids. You're a prostitute. I hired you for sex. I'm going home now, crazy lady. <laughs> and then for him to fly away. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I, I mean, I understand girls like the montage where she gets to go back and buy all the cool, expensive clothes and she gets to, you know, get back at those people who were snooty at her. But it's like, like on no level does this movie make me feel good about Julia Roberts or Richard Gere as characters, the characters they play. It's like, it would be completely different if the story was exactly the same, but she was a homeless woman who is down on her luck. And she used to be a teacher and whatever, you know, if you had changed her profession, I think it would have changed everything about this movie. But the fact that she's a prostitute says a lot about her character and says a lot about his character that to me makes them both just kind of, I don't know, at least the way the script uh, presents them as kind of unlikable and unable to be rooted for. Mm -hmm. I I can't disagree with the thing that you said (laughs) Uh, that, it's it's a movie that has always frustrated me. I just I I feel insulted ulti- ultimately by it that that they think that I'm not going to see how like why it's completely a horrible story. Yeah, it's like, yeah. And having seen, do we need to pause? It sounds like you have a mailman on in this movie, <laughs> and. And, um, and like the weirdest part that always just gets me is like there's a scene where Jason Alexander, the guy who plays George on Seinfeld, starts hitting on her and starts like treating her like she's a prostitute, and she gets super offended. Like, how dare you? And you're like, mm-hmm. no. I mean, if he's being inappropriate, I mean, rape is rape, and no means no. But he's treating you kind of like the way you do your job, and you, you're getting angry. I don't understand this. I don't understand this. Maybe I need to rewatch it. Maybe I'm being terribly insensitive and if i am i'm sorry but to me the scene played like you know oh hey you know what my uncle's a dentist let me let me bring him over here and you can ask him questions and for him to show up and be like how dare you i'm not in i'm not at the office you can't treat me like this i'm not i'm a dentist <laughs> you're like okay whatever i don't know the movie just doesn't work for me yeah sorry ladies. oh no no i think <laughs> I think we wear these with pride, Scott. Um, so another movie that doesn't work for me, um, Avatar. Yeah, you know the the James Cameron record breaking uh, horribleness that it, was in. No, I don't think I've heard of that. I'm not familiar. <laughs> Man, it. I mean, uh, it was okay, I guess. It just wasn't very good either. I didn't think. I enjoyed my theater experience. And have never had a desire to watch it a second time. I did buy it at one point at McKay. I could get it super cheap, so I picked it up going, I'd watch this again, and look, it's extended. I'll watch the extra 30 minutes. And it sat on my shelf for about a year, and I took it back. Because there's never been a night where I've said, I want to go back to Pandora. Well, I have said that, but I've played Borderlands 2. I didn't play. <laughs> I didn't watch Avatar. Yeah, uh, for me, I, I did not even really enjoy the theatrical experience of it. Um it, uh, you know, I've I've talked uh, specifically, I think, in our Prometheus podcast, mm-hmm. um, how Prometheus was the first 3D movie that actually worked for me. Yeah, um, I didn't think 3D worked probably 75 percent of the time in Avatar. For me, it was something that pulled me completely out of the movie, um, and so so I already had a very rough theatrical experience with it. <laughs> um, the story just left me pretty cold overall 
Yeah. And um That was a very mad libs cookie cutter very yeah very you know very uninspired sort of story and um and quite honestly i i know everyone praised the effects and everything uh, for me uh, for me a movie where i don't see the effects is a much stronger experience for me than a movie that is entirely effects and so yeah. and so that also horribly pulled me out of any story that he was trying to tell it it was so much a showcase of look at what my computer can make that at the end of the day nothing about it rang true with me mm-hmm. um you know uh, this is this is a similar problem i have with especially the newer star wars movies um or with um uh, probably a lot of superhero movies as well. I, I have this issue. Uh, really, a lot of the newer, bigger, blockbustery kinds of films, because they are so big and blockbustery. What is what is the? Go ahead, finish the sentence. Yeah, I I just I just there's something about that that actually pulls me back out. Like, what is, like I can see the seams around it. Like I can see the. I can both see and not see enough of the seams. Like you go back to older movies and you can, you know, tell it's a rubber puppet, mm-hmm. but you can, because of that, it works. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. That's kind of because there's a reality to it. That's kind of what I was about to ask you. I, I think it, for me, it's something about that whole uncanny valley of stuff. And I know that that is generally applied to humans and mm-hmm. their realism, but I kind of like to apply it over the whole, the CG. whole filmmaking CG world. And to me, we have entered a very uncanny valley where you can't necessarily see exactly where the scene between reality and fiction is, mm-hmm. but it's incredibly obviously there. And because of that, at least for me, my mind completely rejects everything I'm seeing. What is it? You have a pretty substantial love for Lord of the Rings, the movies. What what do you think is the difference between seeing like a a Nazgul flying on a dragon in that, and seeing a Smurf flying a dragon in uh, Avatar? Well, the the thing I will say about the Lord of the Rings movies, and I even said this a few times at the time that they came out, is that there's elements in those movies that do the same thing to me. Okay. Um, the difference I think for me with those especially is so many of the portions that could have been um that could have have gone into that direction and and there are a few that still do it um but a few a, a large portion of them are created with real elements versus entirely in the computer okay um yeah, and and this is this is something that I'm actually much more worried about with the Hobbit coming out here uh, next week. Is that I know a lot of the things where they built miniatures, where they you know did camera tricks, where they did a lot of things like that. I know in the Hobbit they have gone a lot more CG creation mm. than they did. For instance, all of the orcs and uh, all that kind of thing are all now CG orcs oh. versus versus guys in suits. I did not know that. So there's this whole extra element coming into it where they have created a lot more of the new Hobbit in 
and it may work for me. I don't know. I, I'm willing to revisit this discussion after I see it. Yeah. I, I, um, actually, I would like to because you have been talking about being able to see it in 48 frames. Mm-hmm. And I will not be able to see it in 48 frames. So I'd like yeah. to at least have a, even if it's not on the podcast, I think we should, one of us, both of us should do a, a, a write-up about our Hobbit experience. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think we'll revisit that. But and I'm not saying that this is, I think there are places where I can deal with a lot of CG. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, um, I think I can deal with it a lot better in um space apparently because i know there's tons of cg in something like prometheus right um but it is implemented overall in such a way that i i find it very believable it's it it comes at it from a very excuse me from a very scientific sort of place um I, i this is slightly this is on topic but slightly different but i do think avatar especially entered us into a new weird world it's Where, it's like fantasy in sci-fi. Yeah. But like And I and I think for me that was a very disconnecting kind of thing. Fair enough. Um I th- it was nominated for like best picture. Did it win? I, I know it won some award, the Academy Awards. It won it won technical awards. I don't think it won best picture. Right. I, but it was I, nominated for best picture. But what is interesting to me, I remember James Cameron at the time saying that the movie was basically 80% animated. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm really curious what the difference, you know, why is that movie not considered an animated film versus Wally or whatever, you know, a mm-hmm. Pixar film? Like, what, where are we drawing those lines now between what an animated film is and what a real film is? And I think that was part of it, too, is that so much of it was CG that there was that uncanny valley that you kind of knew, mm-hmm. even though maybe the, the Navi looked really good, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you knew the creatures weren't real, and you also knew that wasn't real, and you also knew that wasn't real. And there was just maybe too much of a bridge to cross, you know, to get on the other side of that valley to go, oh, okay, we're in this real inhabitable mm-hmm. world. I don't know. Yeah. Avatar did, you know, it, like I said, like Kelly and I went and saw it in 3D. We enjoyed it. Uh, we talked about it afterwards um, in kind of positive ways, but it is a movie that has kind of left very little impact on me and has. I've never revisited it and have never really had a desire to. Like, I've never had like, oh, I should go watch that now. Yeah. Um, while I'm on the topic of James Cameron movies, I, I think this will be no surprise to anyone listening. But Long-time um, listeners know where we're headed. Yeah. Uh, Titanic is another movie that I just can't get behind. And uh, the, the best I can sum this up um, in a very short window here yeah. is that to me, it's a movie where they've taken a real event that has interesting things and basically put a cartoon of what we would imagine that time period being like right in the middle of it. To, to me, that's almost the best way I can explain it. And there's nothing about that that interests me. Or, you know, I, I don't buy the characters. I don't buy... Um, I don't buy the whole chase where they get run through the entire ship so you see all of the fascinating things happening to the ship. I don't buy... um, I don't buy 90% of the story. I buy that the ship sank. Um, And because of that, it's just a movie that doesn't work for me. I'm interested... uh, You know, I've seen... um, uh, You know, I know you and I have talked about having issues with... Um, the recent British version that came out from from Julian Fellows that yeah. that we don't really like. There's another one on Stars that I've seen just a little bit of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that I actually have liked what I've seen of it, of, of this particular production about the Titanic. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a point in history that I'm interested in. I just do not feel that this movie, other than creating some iconic moments of the ship sinking for us, I don't feel that it is an accurate representation of that time. And I don't feel like it's, I don't think it's, it is in service to the people who were actually on the ship. I don't feel the story captures their, their true story. It just maybe captures some of the moments of the sinking. Well, and that's about the best thing I can say about it. And I would say that you're definitely not alone. Um, I am not amongst your group. I, it, the movie still works astonishingly well for me. Um, but it, it, and, it, and we it, have an entire podcast where we discuss. I, I know. This, I'm just right? saying it's, it's, a, it's a very it, de- it, de- it it's a very divisive film. Like people either seem to really love it or really hate it. There's very few people on, in the middle ground on that movie. Yeah. Um, I will move on to a movie that everybody in the world who no- loves and knows film says I should love. <laughs> um, and this might be really kind of my, maybe the last one I talk about because just because seems like a good place to end. <laughs> uh, Citizen Kane has never done anything for me. Um, I feel like I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous right now, admitting something terrible, but it really has never done anything for me. Um, I respect the crap out of it. Um, there's a lot in it that I know, just like, you know, there's other movies we've talked about in this podcast where we go, I respect it for what it did, what it accomplished. Um, there's a lot of amazing things at work here, but the movie itself just leaves me bored and listless. <laughs> I think we talked, I'm, have we released the Citizen Kane episode? No, we have not yet. We'll, we'll get in, we'll get into it here shortly. You'll see what I talk. I, I think I really get into it in that podcast. But um, Citizen Kane, just it. I like the first half of it when it's about a young man who wants to make make something of his life, and then when he becomes a raging alcoholic and jerk, my interest level completely just falls off. And maybe it might be a similar situation as there will be blood for me. I don't know. It just. Ultimately, the mystery to me isn't that fascinating. The character isn't that interesting. And that's a big thing for me. It's like, I can respect a movie, you know, because it did it first. And I can respect a movie for it's really how it was pulled off. But I really have to be able to be invested in the characters. I really have to care about where they end up or what they do and how they treat people. And all of those things end up leaving me in a place where Citizen Kane really does nothing for me. And I can understand why it's, everybody says it's the number one film of all time. I understand that. But for me, there are so many better movies that I could watch tonight. Uh, more, I won't say better, more enjoyable films for me to watch tonight that I would rather watch almost any other movie than Citizen Kane. Yeah. Um, for me, the movie that does that exact same thing is Gone with the Wind. And this is this is my last Yeah, great place to list. end it. But Gone with the Wind, I, you know, I know it's it's like the most loved movie of all time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, except by me. I, <laughs> this is just a movie. I'm willing to revisit it probably one more time in my life. Um, and I think we will get there eventually on our podcast. I think it's, isn't it in our list? It has to be. It is, on our it list. is on the list. There's no way that it's not in the top 100 films. It is. Um, it's pretty high up there, I think. Yeah. So, man, this, this is just a movie that, you know, I this is probably my mom's favorite movie, so I grow grew up having it around. You know, I saw it. It is number six on the AFI top. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I saw it several times as a kid. Um, which it's a long, long movie to make 
probably a seven-year-old sit through. I don't think she made me sit through it. I'm sure I chose to sit through it rather than going to bed or something. But, um, you know, that's not a good choice to make a seven-year-old make. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's, you know, it, ultimately, um, this is a movie that I respect it so much because it, it did so many things for cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, it, the the burning of Georgia sequences. It and, came out in 1939. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, it's, that just blows my mind. And there's there's so much that's iconic and you know filmmaking that had never been done before that this movie yeah. accomplishes, and you know uh, the scope of it and the mm-hmm. I, I respect the crap out of this movie. Um, I think it's everyone involved should be incredibly proud of what they did, mm-hmm. except I do not like it. Um, I do not like any of the characters in this movie. Um, I do not like the, um, you know, we talked a little beforehand. I, I don't like the romanticization of this time period that yeah, it creates. It makes- um, e- for either side of the war, really. I, I don't even want to just apply it to the South, but I mean, that's the side that's pictured in this. Here, here's, before you go on with that, there, I, ha- I have to touch on this. I'm not going to say who in my life is this way uh, because I live in the South and I fear for my life from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, it is a beloved movie in, in a very large circle of my friends and family, and nothing in my life has brought up more love for the Confederacy than this movie. And it almost happens every single time I walk past somebody who has recently watched this movie. They'll start talking bad about Sherman, or they'll start talking bad about Lee, or they'll start talking bad about the North. And it's just, it is so wildly uncomfortable to me mm-hmm. when people start talking that way. And the, the war aside, and maybe certain people acted above and beyond what they should have, it is so uncomfortable to me sitting there and, and hearing people talk that way, considering what was at stake during that war mm-hmm. and you just go Ugh. and it doesn't happen we can watch any other movie and it does not happen we can read books we can talk about things other subjects things in the news the love for the unfallen south does not come up in the way it does uh, as when people have recently or are watching this movie and it makes me super uncomfortable yeah you know i i will say uh, you know i'm willing to to suggest that there there was mistreatment of the South and that there was there is plenty of room to have a conversation sure. about things with with sure. any any number of elements of the war. However, to me, Gone with the Wind specifically glosses over the things that I really feel that we cannot gloss over. Yeah, of that time period, um, you know, it definitely puts slavery into a if not a positive light, at least very much a... Um, you said it. It romanticizes you know, A romanticized version of it. Yeah, uh, you know, everything in this movie is romanticized, and slavery is not something that should be. You know, yeah. it's like everything about it, it just seems like, oh, this is so nice and quaint and cute, and wouldn't that be nice if you were Scarlet and you could mm-hmm. slap that annoying girl around? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and if, if that was my only issue with this movie... I could maybe deal with that and go, you know what, this is this is a take on this time period and whatever. But at the same time, Scarlet annoys the crap out of me. Um, yeah, you know, um, the, man, really every character in this movie does. Um, the only person I like 
a little bit is Brett. I think Brett is kind of cool. I have to. I do have to admit that. I yeah. think he's kind of a cool guy. I and I and for me, the story ends at the end of Gone with the Wind. There is no Scarlet. There is no Red Butler's people. To me, it ends with Brett going. I'm done with this. You mm-hmm. guys are crazy. I don't give a damn. Yep. <laughs> I'm like. That to me, that that kind and, of sums up the movie for me. Yeah, and like, I, and I, and that really makes me respect Rhett more because I think he is kind of a a good guy in a bad time, and he's somebody who's kind of a Han Solo smuggler, kind of this cool, swarthy character that I kind of like. You know, they don't make any attempts really to hide some of his ugliness or his love for women or prostitutes or brothels, and I I kind of like that about that character. But to me, he's the only one that kind of comes out of this movie being at all likable. Yeah. So, all right. Well, there you go, everyone. (laughs) Um, Hopefully we've given you a lot to uh, digest here and probably hate us for. No, Um, no, maybe. But, um, I mean, again, this this is coming from our perspective. This is our very personal list. This isn't based on the AFI. We're not telling you this is the way it is. No, exactly. This is our kind of our own personal and emotional responses to some of these movies that you love. And Mm -hmm. you probably have done the same thing listening to this podcast going, how did they like this movie so much? The Sixth Sense is so blah, 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 you know. And and that's the thing. We would love to hear... Uh, uh, we, we yes, we'd love to hear your disagreement with us, but I think more importantly, we'd like to hear about the movies that you don't like that everyone does. You know, uh, I think that as Scott said, you know, there's movies we have talked about that I'm sure that you do not enjoy. Um, and, you know, yeah, and I said it kind of tongue in cheek at the beginning, but I think there is there is the possibility that there are some of these movies that uh, we need to talk about not liking because maybe. We're just liking them because everybody else likes them. I do yeah. believe in a kind of a mob mentality sometimes. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to talk about it, or let's talk about the things that do bother you. Because I think by talking about the things that you don't like in movies, if we can get that out there, maybe we can start making better movies. And I think yeah. good movies are being made, but maybe we can finally retire that trope. Maybe we can finally retire that character or yeah. that theme or go, no, guys, seriously stop it (laughs) yeah no it's it's fascinating because for instance with my wife she has a real issue with cartoons that manipulate emotions so for instance Mm. up to her the movie up Mm -hmm. pixar's up is like the worst cartoon ever really because of the first eight minutes of it that manipulates emotions so much what about cartoons so why cartoon and not any other movie because cartoons cartoons are supposed to be pure entertainment like that's what they exist for. Interesting. And for them to turn into a serious element is a completely wrong direction for a cartoon to take. Interesting. Totally not my perspective. Yeah. I can respect that perspective. Oh, I can see how someone could be there. It, it's been shocking to me as part of my marriage to have to convince someone to go watch a cartoon with me. Right. Because that's never been part of something. Of- is, is it uphill battle every time Pixar releases something? Or, or anyone really? Okay, <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, and so that's kind of shocking to me. That's fun, but it's but I still find it a valid opinion. Oh, to have. absolutely. But then we look at something like Avatar, where you're like, it's eighty or ninety percent animation. Mm-hmm. Where does that line draw? And and so I think there is a much larger conversation oh, yeah. to be had out of this. And that's that's the, that's the fascinating thing. Like you're talking about, uh, my wife and I have very different views. Uh, our Venn diagram does thankfully overlap pretty considerably but i tend to want much more dramatic darker movies and she wants pure escapism you know Mm -hmm. she wants legally blonde and you know i don't (laughs) you know it's like she wants to you know she thinks a movie should 
let her laugh, let her think, maybe a little bit, but mostly just let her laugh and escape the the, the crappy job and all of that, where I kind of want to be challenged. And so we're going to all disagree. You know, we're all going to go, this movie needs to go away. I don't like this movie. Now people are going to go, no, that's exactly how a movie should be. So let us know. Yeah, you know, exactly. What are the movies um, that we should love? <laughs> yeah. What are the movies that you should love, that, but you don't? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, you can let us know, again, on our Facebook, Movies You Should, mm-hmm. is uh, you know, facebook.com slash movies you should, movies you should on Twitter, or movies you should love.com. Oh, it's awesome. If you just Google movies you should love, we take up the entire page at this point, at least on my computer. I don't know if that's just a cookie or if that's, you know, just the way Google is now. If you type in movies you should love, I get like a whole page of our podcast episodes and any of those will take you to our website and you can find us. We're pretty hard to miss. Yes, we, we are. We're definitely on there. We're so. taking over the internet. Yep. No one knows it. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully we haven't offended anyone too much and uh, we will get back to some of our regularly scheduled programming here in the next yes. few releases of our podcast. And, uh, indeed. We'll see you next time. See you then. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 